Well, good morning. Uh, we're beginning a new series. We usually teach on this topic for several weeks at a time. So you picked a good Sunday to be here because we're going to start off. But before we get to that, we want to talk about last week. Some of you uh, weren't here. Uh, we talked about we can't run without volunteers. And so we have a card you can fill out. There it is. And they're in the back and out in the lobby. And if you didn't fill one out last week, and if you were here, please fill one out. <laughs> um, we need volunteers in all these different places and other places. So uh, put your name on there and some contact info, and, uh, and we fill that out. We had a great experience Friday. We hosted a, the Odyssey race, which is, uh, I think they said there was 97 teams of runners, and they, we were a, a transfer station, or whatever you call it, where uh, it's a relay race. So one, one racer stops here, another one starts, and have a van full of people, and we, we fed them, and treated them, and so forth. And if you were here to help, thank you. Could have used a few more people. Um, so next year, put on your calendar. We've been doing this for four or five years. And as we talked again last week, it's about our reputation in community, our Jesus reputation in community. And so I think we did a good job with that uh, last Friday. But we need lots of things done. We need help with the uh, grass-cutting crews. And, and as already been mentioned, different ministries here at church. So please, pick up one of those and fill it out and hand it to me or someone else that, as we used to say, looks important and uh, that'll take care of that. So today, start a new series called Life Apps. Most of you probably have a smartphone and you have apps on that phone, right? The app stands for applications. And we're going to talk about applications and everything. I guess the, well, it could be a phone, but you couldn't do much else without it without the apps on there. And so I'm kind of addicted to the weather app, you know, driving here this morning, it looked cloudy. I said, hey, I'm driving, so my wife did. Uh, check and see if it's going to rain. It's supposed to rain this afternoon, so just you didn't, didn't know. And don't check your apps now, all right? Just keep them <laughs> uh, put, put away. So we're going to talk about application today, and then for the next five weeks, we'll talk about specific applications. And some of these things are things in the Bible that just kind of, we wrestle with, we struggle with, we're not sure we want to do it. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower yet, we hope you will be someday, but if you're not yet, we're delighted that you're here, but you're not obligated to do these things. Now, we would like to encourage you to try it. If one of these next five things comes up that you th think might be helpful or interesting, you can try it. In fact, if you're not and your spouse is, you can say, hey, you've got to do that. I don't, all right? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not a Jesus follower yet. <clears throat> so again, application makes all the difference. Application is everything. And that'll make a little more sense as we go along here. Now, <clears throat> Bible's written in the Old and New Testament. Word testament means covenant or contract. So those of us who are Jesus followers have a covenant or contract. We have a personal relationship uh, with Almighty God. So in any contract, there's obligations, right? If you sign a contract with somebody to uh, mow your lawn or, or do some work at your house, uh, you're obligated to pay them. They're obligated to do the work. So we're in contract. It's better than a contract because I think covenant's a better word. With God. And so he has some... Instructions for us are part of the contract or covenant that we're supposed to do. So the, a lot of those we think is do's and don'ts in the Bible. And uh, if you're a Jesus follower, you have an obligation <laughs> to pay attention to those, to, to, to follow those. If you're not, you, you're free and clear. Put on your um, outline, the New Testament authors assumed a relationship with God. 
So this is written to people that have a relationship with God or for people that don't, how to begin a relationship with God. Now, we were at, uh, some of you guys, folks have met Wally, our neighbor, and um, he just brought, we're above him and Wally's property, and he just bought the property below him. And his 80th birthday party was there last night, so we went. There's a nice house there, and there's a young couple with some small kids that have moved into that house. This is all about blacksmithing and all that stuff. So we're walking up the driveway with our food, and this little girl about this tall comes running and screaming down the, <laughs> the driveway. It's all gravel. And um, we just said, hi, how are you? Whatever. I didn't say to her, oh, stop screaming, or stop running, you might hurt yourself, or you need to go talk to your parents. Now, why didn't I do that? I don't have a relationship with this girl. I'm not her parent. It's not my place. It's none of my business, if you will, right? Because not my kid. So, for example, when Moses went up on the mountain and came down with the Ten Commandments, did he come down with the Ten Commandments and say, these Ten Commandments are for all people and all nations for all time? Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. He said, you, God's people, the Israelites, this is for you. Now, on their, their, uh, their, their side, God had taken them out of slavery. He led them, it was, was leading them to the promised land. He was feeding them free and, free and clear. And so then Moses comes down with Ten Commandments and says, hey, God thinks you should do this. What was their response? <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> He's taking care of us. He's our heavenly father. And so we're going to try and do that. On the other hand, we've all seen people... <laughs> at the mall or someplace, that we can consider bad parents, right? Their kids are wild, and they're not saying anything, they're not doing anything, and it's not to be too judgmental, but we just think they're bad parents because they are not giving some do's and don'ts to their kids. Well, if you're Jesus' follower, God's your parents, and God gives us, he'd be a bad parent if he didn't, give us some do's and don'ts. Now, one of my little rants as a, as a preacher is this. <clears throat> Somewhere along the line, we, we can take credit for it, these pastors are blamed for it. Uh, we've kind of projected this idea that all that stuff in the Bible, all that stuff in the book, is for everybody. And so what happens is, you know, we talk about one thing or another, and you look at your neighbor, and your neighbor, you know, they, they're not doing it. And so what is your tendency? Your tendency is to think, well, you should be doing these things, because God wants you to do these things. But they're in no obligation. They're in no contract. They're in no covenant. They're not Jesus followers. They don't. But we, in our minds and in our, in our heads, we think, well, they should be. We think it's better if they would be, but they should be. Well, consequently, what happens is we as church, church people become judgmental. And some of you maybe have been out of church for a while because you just don't like that part about church. And we shouldn't be that way. And it's really wrong, and us pastor types should take the blame for giving you folks the idea that everybody should be following these things. And they shouldn't. In fact, you might disagree with me, but, you know, there's some arguments, some courtrooms have the Ten Commandments on the wall. They shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be. Especially the first four, talking about God, because the courtroom is about our civil laws. It's not about God's laws. It's certainly about worshiping God. So they're not under those obligations. And some of our laws are based on stuff from the Bible, which is good. 
So I put this on your outline. We talked about this last week. New Testament says that insiders are not supposed to judge outsiders. Insiders means that they're Jesus followers and outsiders are people that aren't Jesus followers. So I have no <laughs> responsibility. I should not be judging my neighbor that's not a Jesus follower for not doing the things that Jesus followers should do. I should, it shouldn't even go there. Jesus didn't do that. And as I said last week, uh, if they're Muslim, they're following a, a different set of rules. If they're Buddhist, they're following a different. If they're atheists, they're following a different set of rules. We shouldn't judge them. Hopefully they don't judge us. It's kind of be like this. <laughs> if I go into your workplace tomorrow morning, I go into your workplace and tell your boss and tell your employees, uh, you all been coming in at, at 9 o'clock in the morning. You should be coming in at 8 o'clock in the morning. Now, what are your boss and what are you going to think? Who is this guy? He has no authority here. He shouldn't be telling us what time we should come to work. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Well, that's kind of what it's like when we expect non-Jesus followers to follow principles in God's word. So, let's on your outline. If you are a Jesus follower, and we're delighted, I'm glad you are, you really need to pay attention to what's in the book, right? If you're not, you get a free pass. You can try it. Hopefully you will. We say you would be better at life and your life would be better. But you had no obligation. You've made no commitment. You're, you're in no contract. So we're going to talk about application. It means this. It's what you do that matters. It's what you do that matters. So if I say to my wife, I'm going to uh, pick up my dirty clothes off the floor. And I don't pick up my dirty clothes off the floor. If my wife's not in here. She was in her first service, but anyway. Uh, is she going to be happy about that? No, why? Because it's what I do that matters. Now, if I didn't say anything and picked them up, it'd still be fine. We have a saying, actions speak louder than words, right? So we're going to look at uh, something that a guy by the name of James wrote. James was the brother of Jesus. And as we said, he wasn't a Jesus follower before the resurrection, It'd be kind of cool to be Jesus' brother, right? You can imagine the stories you could tell. Now, on the other hand, it'd be a little tough because he'd be a goody two-shoes and never do anything wrong. And your parents would say, why aren't you like your older brother Jesus? But it'd still be pretty cool, wouldn't it, to be Jesus' brother? So James writes uh, a letter that we have in, our, in the Bible called the book of James. And he's really big on this application thing. And so we'll look at a few verses and, and try and flesh it out a little bit. But I put in your outline... Believing without behaving is the same as not believing, right? So if I believe that, uh, pick out something, I believe that running makes me healthy, all right? But if I don't run, it's the same as not believing because I'm not running, right? There's no difference. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. We got this crazy idea in, in, in church that just believing something is all you need to do. But in every other realm of life, it makes no sense at all, right? So let's start in James chapter 1, verse 22. It's a longer passage, but we're going to jump in here. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. Now, you ought to listen to it. You ought to read it. You ought to hear it. All right? But that's not the end. We don't get credit for just listening or hearing it. It doesn't do us any good. He said, again, you may choose to. So you sign a contract with a, 
somebody to cut your grass. And you say, well, you can cut it if you want to or not. Is that what you're going to say? No, you're in contract. Well, as a Jesus follower, we're in contract or covenant with God. So it's not a, if I choose to, it's a, you must do. You must do what it says. Besides, it's going to be for your best, so you want, should want to. But he says you must do. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Some translations say deceiving yourself. What does that mean? Well, you're thinking one thing, and it's not true. And this happens every Sunday in church, this church and every other church. People sit there and listen to stuff. And they just think they get credit for listening. Later on in the week, they can say, hey God, remember? On Sunday, I sat there and listened to that preacher's boring sermon. I get credit for that, right? Give me a good parking spot at the mall. You know, give me better grades in school. Let my job go well. Give me a promotion. Because I was there. I might not have been paying attention, remember, not all the time, but I was there. And so I, I'm, I'm spiritual. I, get, I should get credit for that. Now, we're glad that you're here. <laughs> and hopefully you're listening. Uh, but that's deceiving yourself if that's where it stops. You're fooling yourself. You don't get credit for that. In fact, in some ways, it may be worse. Another thing we, way we deceive ourselves in, 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 in church is like this. Um, you ever been to church and felt bad about something as you were leaving? You know, I should be a better father, I should be a better husband, I should be a better Jesus follower, blah, 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 whatever it might be. You don't have to raise your hand. We've all been there, right? And somehow by feeling bad, we think we're spiritual. We think we're closer to God. Well, if we just go back, we got home and get, you know, later on forget about it, have we, <laughs> has it improved our lives any? Now we just deceived ourselves. Now I'm not Catholic, I have a Catholic background, some of you are. They tell me the Catholics have this down. They got this thing where guilt equals God. And so the guiltier you feel as a Catholic, the more, more spiritual you're supposed to be. Um, but we kind of could do the same thing with the, the bad feeling thing. And what we see from our neighbors who aren't Jesus followers, and they look at us and they say, hey, you know, you may go to church, you may put some money in the offering, you, you may feel bad when you come back, but you're no different than I am. You know, you're still mean to your kids and cheat on your taxes and look at stuff you shouldn't and whatever it might be. You know better than I am. But you think you are because you spent that hour in that building. Or you think you are because you felt bad about not being a better whatever. And you don't really want to do it because, wow, I, I, my sins will get forgiven and I'll have a clear conscience and I won't feel bad anymore. And it's some crazy way of thinking we won't feel as spiritual as, it, as, we, as we did when we were feeling bad and guilty. It'll mess up my whole idea of spirituality if I actually do these things. So I'll just go and listen to the preacher talk about it and feel bad and think, wow, I'm spiritual now. Deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. That's not it. So he goes on. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. Now, we've all looked in a mirror already today, right? Or I hope you did. No, <laughs> uh, uh, Probably more than once we looked in the mirror. 
And it's because we, now, maybe not like what, what we see, but we, but we looked, right? So he goes on. You see yourself, you walk away, and forget what you look like. So what's he talking about? This is a cool illustration. Now, back 2,000 years ago, they didn't have mirrors like ours. Our mirrors, you might not like it, but what did you see is what you look like, right? So they either had a piece of metal, which would be kind of hard, but most people just looked at a bowl of water as their mirror. And I don't know how, how good a mirror that is. But anyway, you looked at your bowl of water, you looked at your metal, and we look at mirrors and we say, oh, wow, you know, I really need to, you know, fix my hair. I, oh, wow, I, I need to put on some makeup. Or, oh, wow, I need to shave. Or, I need a, oh, wow, I need a haircut. Oh, oh, wow, something. And I can talk about this because my wife's already taught me to talk about this. Especially you ladies, I guess. Some of you men, men. But in our house, it's, it's, it's my wife. She has all this stuff that she uses when she looks in the mirror, okay? And uh, I hate to think about the money it costs for all that stuff, but anyway. And I think this, like, all these same look like, oh, that one's ha almost empty, so that's why I got another one over here. But anyway. And then when we travel, you have to carry that stuff. My wife has a suitcase. It's a little suitcase, but she has a suitcase for that stuff, all right, that she uses when she looks in the mirror. Now, when do you stop looking in the mirror? When you got it what you, like you want, right? Well, you run out of time, I guess, but anyway, got to go. You know, your hair is just like you want, your makeup's just like you want, you know, you trimmed your beard or shaved or, or whatever you want. When you got it like you want, then you stop looking, right? Now, the problem is that's all on the outside. So what if we had a mirror that we could look at the inside? We could look at the heart. We could look at our, our, our attitudes. And we say, oh, wow. You know, I ought to be a nicer. Oh, wow, I need to forgive that person. Oh, wow, I need to volunteer at church. So I put this on your outline. You're, our problem is we're often we're more committed to the things that don't make that big a difference, like our hair and our makeup, than we are to the things that make the big difference. The internal stuff, the attitudes of our heart. Because in reality, what determines your quality of life? If your hair's just right, if your heart's right, that makes a difference in your quality of life. Uh, I don't know if you should bring this up. Think about your biggest regrets in your life. All right? It might have been a night, it might have been a weekend, it might have been a week, it might have been a couple years in college, whatever it might be. And I'll bet you, you really looked great. In fact, the better you looked, probably the more trouble you got into, right? Well, the better you looked on the outside. You looked better, but acted worse, didn't we? And this is what we often do in, in church church in the church world I get up and say oh, I need to shave today you know but I don't so I come to church and you all look at me and say hey pastor shouldn't you shaved I said yeah I should have shaved and then I go to small group and they say pastor shouldn't you shaved yeah I should have shaved please pray for me uh, just pray for me that when I look in the mirror and I see that I need to shave that I shave would you all do that? And we feel really spiritual because we've opened up and we shared, you know, our shortcomings. And if you're sitting there in that small group, what are you thinking? Just shave, right? 
We don't need to pray for you. Prayer is great, but we don't need to pray for you. You know you should have done it. You looked in the mirror. Just do it. And same thing with those bad habits that we have and bad attitudes that we have and those addictions we have and those things we need to stop. And some of them have been going on for years and years and years and you might just share with your small group and they're praying for you. But at some point, what? You got to do it. Oh, wow, I need to be a better father. Well, be a better father. Oh, wow, I need to be a better husband. Well, be a better husband. Oh, wow, I need to be a better Jesus follower. If you don't do anything, you're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself. Just feeling bad about it doesn't help. So that's the negative alternative, right? When we look in the mirror. Then James switches gears. He says, but, there's another option. But if you look carefully or intently into the perfect law that sets you free. Now, some of you may have one of these at home. My wife said she's had one of these since she was a teenager. I don't even know what you call these things. I don't use it. My wife does. But maybe I should. (laughs) Pastor, you need to use that thing. Now, this is a mirror, right? But this is a special mirror. Because this mirror actually has a light to shine on your face. And not only does it have a light to shine on your face, it's got this knob down here. You can actually magnify your face. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to magnify my face. Uh, scary enough as it is. But then you magnify it. You can see every little pore in your skin. You can see every little hair that's growing someplace that you don't want it to grow. And tweezers are our best friend, right? (laughs) Pull those out. You can look up your nose all the way to your brain if you want to. Uh, I don't know. But the weird thing is, nobody stands this close to your face out in public, do they? But you've got to have it down to the magnifying level. Everything in place. That, this is the look intently or carefully in the mirror mirror. That's what I'm going to call it from now on from my life. So he's saying our our mirror is, we would say, the Bible, right? He says the perfect law. He said the Bible. So we got those do's and don'ts in there. That's our mirror. Now, uh, the tough thing is, especially when you're younger, but it doesn't go away even at my age, is that that stuff doesn't feel like it's freeing, does it? What do you think? Especially about those don'ts in the Bible. That, that's that's going to ruin my life. That's going to take all away all my fun. That's what we feel, right? So I didn't start going to church until I was about 13, 14 years old. And so I started learning stuff. And so one of the things that I was taught that you're supposed to give the first 10% of your income to God. Now, at that age, I was getting, you know, a dollar allowance a week or whatever it was. So my parents say, you give a dime to God. That's cool. That's not a big deal. Not a problem. And I got to be like 16, got a job, and started making more money. So with $100, I could get $10. Now, I struggle with that a little bit. It doesn't seem very freeing because I could spend that $10 on something I wanted to do, right? Then it gets a couple hundred dollars, then it gets $30, $40, and then it, and, and you don't think about all the, you got 90% of that you still get to keep. And of course, Dave Ramsey would say live on 80% and save 10%. So, uh, but I've done that all my life. And so now I'm at this place where I'm financially free. 
I have no debt other than a mortgage. I have money in the bank. I need some money for something, I have it. I'm financially free. For those of you that haven't done that, and you've got credit card debts and maybe vehicle debts, and, and let me ask you, do you feel very free? I don't think so. All kinds of examples. Authority. We're, we're told in the Bible to obey authorities like our parents and like the government and so forth. And when you're young, especially when you're a teenager, your parents are dumb, right? Why should I listen to them? They don't have a clue. But I tried to, as best I could, as a teenager, obey my parents and try to obey the laws. I never wound up in jail or in court for anything. Um, so consequently, I, I, I'm free because I did what the Bible said. Another thing, the Bible says your body is the temple of, temple of God. So I take that seriously. So all my life I've tried to eat well, I've uh, exercised and so forth. And a few years ago, I got some life insurance. They took my blood work, and, and the, lady, the nurse or whatever told me I'm like in the top 2% health-wise of my age bracket. Is that freeing? Yeah, that's absolutely freeing, but I've had to do that stuff. So I put on your outline, the Word of God is freedom-giving if you trust it. There's this thing in the Bible about forgiveness. We're going to spend a week on the forgiveness thing. And that's really a, a toughie because... Somebody has wronged me, and I'm supposed to forgive them. It kind of seems backwards, doesn't it? And not only that, I'm supposed to forgive them, if, even if they don't care, if they ask for it. But is being unforgiving, or being angry, or being resentful, is that freedom? No, that's slavery. I appreciate that song the band did. So forgiving... Is freeing if you trust it. So then it goes on. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, it sets you free. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, so you can't forget it, you've got to do what it says, then what happens? Good things happen. God will bless you for doing it. So I put on the outline in the application, there is liberty, and you don't know it initially, as a teenager especially, but you experience it. Eventually. So again, application makes all the difference. Doing it. Not just believing it. Not just hearing it. Not just listening to it. Not good intentions. That's the next slide, by the way. <laughs> so you go to your doctor. And the doctor says, oh, you got high blood pressure, high blood sugar, whatever. You need to change your diet. So here's your diet you need. To. So you got the information. Now, you got two choices, right? You can either change your diet or not. If you don't change your diet, has your health improved? It wasn't the information that made the difference. Even your decision to do it didn't make a difference. It was application that made all the difference. You change your diet, blood sugar goes down, blood pressure goes down, whatever. Uh, Jesus preached his famous sermon. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. You could spend the rest of your life trying to just do those things in those three chapters. And he finishes up, this sermon is forgiveness in there and lots of other things in there. He finishes up with this cool story. And we're just about finished. We'll read through this and let you have a song and let you go. Anyone who listens to my teachings and follows it is wise. So you just can't listen. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Now is it harder to build a house on rock or sand? 
Uh, we built a house, Mel and I, about 25 years ago. 100 sticks of dynamite to blast the rock out of that house. A um, lot harder on rock. And so when you're a teenager and you think about tithing or keeping yourself sexually pure or whatever it might be, it is hard, right? But, he says, the rain comes, the torments, floodwaters rise, the winds bleed against it, that the house, life gets tough. Problems come. But you won't collapse because you're built on the bedrock. Application makes all the difference. So the next five weeks, we're going to talk about specific ap- uh, applications. Uh, <laughs> my agenda, my goal is that you will look in the, the mirror and make applications. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you'll try this. And eventually, come to the place, well, hey, this, this, this Jesus thing seems to really work. So, let me pray for you. We'll have a song and we'll let you go. Father God, thank you. We appreciate the fact that uh, you care deeply about us and have, um, for a better word, these, these do's and don'ts, instructions, uh, as, a, as a loving parent, not to restrict us, but to give us freedom. And it's sometimes hard to, hard, hard to understand that, hard to believe that. But God, help us to not just feel contented or feel spiritual because we, we've sat here or we've heard something. Um, it's the doing that matters. And we pray for anybody that's not a Jesus follower, they would consider it or even take a step closer or, or, or give it a try. Uh, God, we thank you for your presence here. Do your work in, in us and around us. In Jesus' name, amen.